Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kamura. Hey, everyone. Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. Uh, check out rubydevsummit.com coming up soon. We have a special guest this week, and that is Ben Sheldon. Ben, do you want to say hi and let everybody know why you're famous and what a good job you do on Ruby? Sure. Uh... Yeah, thanks for having me here. Uh, I'm Ben Sheldon. Uh, I'm the developer of Good Job, uh, which is a background job uh, library for Ruby on Rails that uses Postgres. Um, and I'm also an engineering manager at GitHub. Oh, cool. Awesome. So the first question is, um, do you want to give a high-level overview of what Good Job is? And then... I'm going to put you into the second question. Does GitHub use good job? I hear it's good. Um, (laughs) uh, Happy to answer that. So the, yeah, the high level uh, sort of thing. So Rails has uh, active job built into it, which is a uh, background job sort of like interface. Um, Background jobs are sort of, um, I guess you've got web requests. Uh, so somebody wants to load a page on your website. And then um, if you're doing something that takes like a long time that you don't want somebody to just have their browser spinning, like maybe you need to send an email or you need to do some data processing or you're talking to some third-party API, um, you probably want to do that outside of a web request. And um, a pretty common way to do that is with a background job. And Rails has an interface for that called Active Job. Um, and active job itself doesn't have a mechanism for actually running jobs in the background in like a production safe way. Um, so there's a number of, you know, this is me saying uh, good job as something comparative. Um, so maybe you've heard of Sidekick or you've heard of Delayed Job uh, or Rescue or Q, Q-U-E. Uh, good job is just another one of those. Uh, background job adapters. Um, good job is maybe a little unique that it's so new. Uh, like good job is only now, man, coming up on four years old, but all of the other background job systems were invented before active job became a thing. And so they have a lot of their own interfaces um, and infrastructure outside of Rails, like they can run outside of Rails, but good job only works with Rails, only works with active job and was sort of designed initially specifically like for, for the active job thing. And good job uses Postgres as its uh, data storage. It doesn't use Redis. It just uses your regular old relational database. Um, it uses a couple of like Postgres specific features like listen, notify, which is like a pub sub thing. Uh, it uses advisory locks. Um, which are uh, a little more, little different than like row level locking for update skip lock. Um, but yeah, it's about four years old. Um, I've been pretty much the main active developer of it. Hopefully that answers question number one. Uh, question number two, do we use it in GitHub? Nope. Um, the uh, sort of predated oh, GitHub, it actually involved a lot of uh, Stuff that I sort of like worked on at Code for America, uh, we were using delayed job. Um, and in a lot of my personal projects, I was using Q, Q-U-E. And um, so it was sort of uh, what we were doing at Code for America was doing a lot of really interesting like Postgres hacking 
Um, and then like on my personal projects, uh, Q used to have this really cool feature that you could run it inside of your web process, like your Puma process, which for me being uh, cheap and wanting to run as much as possible on like my Heroku web dyno, uh, that was like a really great feature that I didn't have to like run a separate worker dyno process and I could save some money. And then Q dropped that feature and it was something I really wanted. Um, and so like that was something that I built into good job was the ability that it it could also sort of like run inside of the same process that was serving your web request. Cool. So was that your main inspiration for creating good job? Uh, I'm like main inspiration. Definitely, like, I I really like Q. Like, I think Q had a lot of really nice, like, developer, like, those developer experience stuff. Um, but I also want to say, like, I was greatly inspired by Delayed Job, um, though I think that also was largely that I felt like Delayed Job is just, like, bulletproof production, like, experience, um, like, I really like all of those things about delayed job. And I also found it uh, frequently like difficult to use from just like an operational sense of sort of like configuring it and scaling it, um, having some edge cases around like job timeouts and stuff that I felt like it took, even though I'm like, yeah, it's like super hardened for production. Like it always, I always felt like it took a really long time to sort of dial in, in order to get those benefits. So you know, I feel like good job is I'm like, I'm trying to take uh, the the best stuff that I can from other projects uh, with none of the baggage. So, you know, trying to trying to go through because I'm like, all these projects are great. There's nothing about there's nothing that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally busted or bad and good job fixes it or something. It's more of trying to take the good stuff. Yeah. And so that's cool. I didn't know that you could attach good job into the Puma process. I know that's something that was recently released on Sidekick version 7, I believe. And now with um, SolidQue, they have that functionality as well. So I assume that they took a lot of inspiration from what you've done with GoodJob on SolidQue. Yeah. I'm like, I don't... I don't know all the story behind a lot of that. Like that, I call it async mode in GoodJob. Uh, the idea that you can just sort of like start good job in any old process. You don't have to like run it as a separate process from like this, the command line. Um, and, you know, I'll say like that was very much uh, something that I, I enjoyed with Q. Um, and then, yeah, with Sidekick, uh, that's they call, I think it's called Capsules um, that was added in Sidekick. And I think that's great. I actually went back because uh, I I loved the name Capsules so much. I went back and like refactored good job. So now in good job, the object that sort of contains all of all of the stuff that you'd run is is a good job capsule. Um, so mm. props to Mike Perum for having just really good naming um, on that. And then yeah, solid Q also uh, can you can sort of start it up in a process. So solid Q right now is a little different because it will always fork off another process. So even though like your main Puma process is sort of like the command and control for a solid queue, it doesn't, it runs in a forked subprocess. So you're going to, it's going to use a little more memory 
then with good job, good job is like only spins off some threads. It never forks. But I also made a pull request. Like I did a spike on solid queue just to like see what it would look like to only be multi-threaded and not fork. Um, so I'm going to spend a little more time contributing to that because, uh, you know, the magic of open source. So because solid queue is so inspired by good job, do you see yourself kind of like sunsetting your efforts and work on good job and just adopting solid queue? You know, my knee jerk reaction, I was like, heck no. Um, <laughs> like I, I definitely don't want to create any, any fear or FUD that good job is going to go away. Like I'm, I'm totally committed to supporting it. I think that's awesome. It is like, I will say though, now I'm like, okay. And also, you know, it's complicated. Like the the thing that I always wanted, like the reason I did good job was largely because I was like, I think background jobs should be like easier to use um, mm-hmm. and work better for like all these, you know, from my like super cheapo Heroku trying to streamline as much as possible to like larger and larger teams that it was largely, it's like, okay, I want background jobs to be easier to use. And so I do think like there's some reality that's like, oh, if solid queue gets built into Rails and a lot of those like, you know, many hands make light work with whatever sunlight bugs are shallow or something. I'm just like, yeah, more people are going to be contributing to it. Like if background jobs are easy to use, like there's not necessarily a need for good job anymore. Like, I'm like, yeah, if everybody migrates off good job and goes to solid queue, then yeah, I'll probably not invest a whole lot of time in good job. But I, I don't imagine that happening anytime soon. Yeah, just yeah. from the initial looks of mission control, which is their solution for a front end UI to solid queue. It seems to be just like it pales in comparison to what good job offers on the front end side. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm interested to see mission control. Like, I'm, I'm always interested to see like how Basecamp, you know, writes Rails applications and like, you know, pulls Ruby code together. I think, I think just seeing their process is really fascinating. Um, the level of just sort of like thought and polish that they put into stuff. Like, I enjoy reading good code, so like, I'm excited to see. Mission control and that I think with with the good job dashboard and you know if you go to the good job page on GitHub, um, there is like a link to a Heroku demo where you can just like click around in the dashboard. There's a live demo of it, um, but you know I think a lot of that just comes from my experience of being like Ruby on Rails uh, and like just like Bootstrap having a fully baked design system makes it really easy to like build a fully fleshed out like dashboard with all sorts of drop downs. Um, and like, I'm like, I don't know if I, I think we've got a modal even in there. Um, but just like you can build a really nice administrative panel without a whole lot of effort. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about mission control. Um, just to, to sort of see how it is. Um, but I'm also like, this is the sort of thing like with good job that I don't I don't really feel like that if solid queue and mission control all become huge successes and everybody's using them, like I don't 
I don't have any regrets that I'm like, oh, I'm going to be like throwing away all of this effort or something. I'm just sort of like, yeah, we'll do now we just use this and we go about trying to build, build our apps, build our businesses, you know, build, build the stuff we want to build. Uh, I'm curious the distinction here. Uh, I just want to, you know, set up uh, expectations of like, you know, uh, you know, why Postgres? <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, I know there, there's a, it's, you, you know, it's advertised very clearly, you know, this is Postgres specific. Uh, you know, why did you end up choosing that? And uh, is there going to be a continuous expectation that it's always going to be Postgres dependent? Yeah, I mean, I think with Good Job, it was like, it was like, well, that was like quick and easy. That was a tool I was using. That was the tool that I think like Heroku and Render and DigitalOcean. Like, I just felt like I was like, okay, there's a lot of people building stuff with Postgres. And I, all of, all of the stuff I worked on was with Postgres. And so like, this was the itch I had to scratch. And it was largely like, this is, I think, you know, there's also like a part of good job too, that it, it's had two sort of stages over its life cycle that for the first like two years, I want to say like, good job was super narrow, super slim. Like it, it really was just you enqueue a job. It puts it in the database. It puts the job in a background thread. It runs the job. It deletes it from the database. Like it was like very slim. It didn't have a web dashboard. I was like, you don't need a web dashboard. Like you don't need any of this. Like, you know, this is the simplest um, sort of system. And then, you know, I started getting feedback where people were asking for more and more stuff. They were like, oh, we also want to be able to like, have like cron, you know, repeating jobs like a cron thing. Uh, and I was like, no, that's not background jobs. Active job doesn't do it. Nah. Um, and so it was like very narrow. Uh, and I sort of like rejected a lot of a lot of feature requests. Um, and you know, there was a certain point, I think I've told this story before on other podcasts. Um, but like I read this retrospective from it was like one of the inventors of RSpec. Uh, and they were like, like reflective and feeling like that they had squashed a lot of good ideas that they had just sort of like kept to the straight and narrow view of their like, no, that's not how you use it. It only does this like, and, and that they sort of had like reflecting back on that, like a lot of regrets with that. And, you know, I think that sort of helped me get over myself a little bit and that, that was what, like, there was a flip where I was like, yeah, let's do a web dashboard. Let's do cron. Let's do batches. Like, let's let's add more knobs um, on here and configuration options to, to meet people where they are. And so, you know, I'm, I think on one hand, like, you know, early good job, I was very much like, hey, I know Postgres. I know Postgres can do this. I use Postgres. Let's just go with Postgres. Um, and then, like, you know, even today, I think the flip side of that, where I've still been when people are like, oh, can you make it work with some other database? I feel like I'm like, eh, I don't, you know, good job is still mostly me. Like, I get a lot of great community contributions, but it's mostly me. And I think thinking of my own capacity to support stuff, like, 
I've sort of, there's been like, I'm like, okay, what are the things that I feel comfortable maintaining? And there's some dimensions that I'm like, oh yeah, I can maintain batches and cron and this really lovely web dashboard. Um, and those things bring me joy. And then I'm like, uh, but adding my SQL or SQL Lite or Cockroach or like, you know, what's the, the Cloudflare thing that people have asked about? Like, so there's sort of all these other things. And I'm like, ah, that, that doesn't bring me joy writing uh, cross-platform SQL queries. Like, that sort of stuff doesn't, doesn't make me want to get up in the morning and work on good job. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think a lot of this, like, I want to be, like, it's like, we're talking about good job, but we're also like, a lot of this is about me and my, my personal beliefs and motivations in it. Now, would you be open to having your Postgres layers abstracted in a class to where someone could write their own adapter for GoodJob that they could plug in their GoodJob MySQL adapter that could then use it? So you don't have to maintain the all different yeah, kind of database backends, but you can just keep maintaining your end with Postgres, but then allow others to implement their own adapters. I'm, I think realistically, that would be super difficult to do that. You know, I think path dependency around Postgres, that there's a lot of like Postgres specific features that GoodJob uses. Yeah. Um, and that it like, you know, like accelerates my, accelerates development on GoodJob, makes it easier to, to, deliver these features better, faster, stronger. Um, and I think I am like, you're not the first person to ask uh, that I, I'm like, <laughs> oh, you know, the lowest common denominator denominator of it, I think would be difficult. Um, but I'll also say like, I think these things evolve because I definitely felt like in the early days when like good job was very slim that I was like, you know, why would I spend the time putting MySQL support into good job when it's only like 200 lines of code? Go write your own MySQL adapter for active job. Uh, it's not that hard. Happy to help. Um, but, you know, now that now that good job does a lot more, it's like flipped a little on its head, though now it's more like the path dependency of um, of it's like, oh, yeah, that big thing would be really difficult to rewrite without this Postgres specific feature. Yeah, I, I wanted to just follow up on that really quickly because it seems like, and, and maybe I haven't looked at the code for good job, right? I just kind of looked at what it does. Um, but it seems like a lot of these are built on active record, which abstracts away the details between Postgres and MySQL and SQLite and whatever other thing is out there. So what, what specifically are you doing that requires Postgres that's not, you know, that, that isn't compatible with the other databases? Um, there's advisory locks, which is one thing. Um, those are very Postgres specific. Okay. Um, there is, there's like a bunch of raw SQL. I'm like, oh, the embarrassing stuff, you know, that, that I think has some CTEs in it. Uh, common table expressions, like there's, I'm like, yeah, it uses active record, but it does drop down quite a bit to SQL 
that that isn't just all okay. of the, the cross-platform stuff. That I think the other side too is like it's not just the queries. It there is stuff that I have learned as I've done more Postgres where it's like knowledge of how certain queries perform in Postgres and the behavior of it that I think are a little different on on databases. Um, and so like, I think that's the sort of thing that there's quite a lot of different behavior. And I'll just say like, you know, analogously, when I've looked at this in solid queue, like it has a semaphore model, which I think is like, I'm like, you know, good job. Doesn't have any of that. We have advisory locks. Those are Postgres. Um, but it's the sort of stuff where it's like, you know, I look at solid queue and I'm like, whoa, that is super clever. That is super smart. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not that smart. I just use this thing that like Postgres <laughs> offers for creating a queue-like structure. I gotcha. All right, what were you going to ask, Dave? I don't know. It's gone, but it's okay. Uh, but, you know, I will say that I've gone down the road of having to come up with some kind of cron task that would run every minute on an application. The idea was we don't want to burden someone from making too many API requests on their mobile devices. So it would queue up all of the jobs or the background jobs that need to run. And then every minute, the application would then check to see if there were anything that needs to occur, like API posts and stuff. And so it was a way that we could offer a immediate post where if they want to show up and make the API call immediately, doesn't need cron, or if they want to batch it. So a lot of people wanted to batch the jobs just to take some network load off. And that worked great. We used the whenever gem to run every mm-hmm. minute. But what we ended up seeing happen was those jobs started executing initially in just like two seconds, super fast. Application grew to much higher proportions where it was having to do 50,000 jobs every minute that had gotten queued up. And Uh... it started taking longer and longer until we passed the threshold where the next cron task was queuing up and it was still trying to run the old one. So it was taking over a minute to run. And we found CPU spikes occurring and stuff because whenever had to load up the entire Rails application. So this is just if you're using CronTab or just you know the normal bash cron to do it or the whenever gem, you have to be really careful in those situations because you could spend a lot of CPU cycles just executing these recurring jobs loading up the entire Rails application into memory to execute them and stuff. So having that functionality built into the worker itself, I think is really critical for those kind of situations where a lot of reoccurring tasks are happening very often and or are really heavy hitting. So now I'm glad to see that functionality, despite your initial push, uh, is built into good job. You saved me from looking dumb and asking, why don't you just let people use the whenever gem and rake task? So thank you, Dave. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I, for one, I've been through this whole battle of should the queue be stored in Redis or should be stored in the database? 
And I came up with a very definitive answer. And the answer is, it depends. <laughs> so, People love that answer. What does it depend on? So transactional things that don't matter if they get dropped, if you could just refresh the screen and then see the content, those can go into a Redis queue or a Redis background job or something. But the batching of items that I was talking about earlier, with that kind of situation, if you were to lose that queue of jobs that needed to run, then there's data loss. There's actual like repercussions. If your Redis instance crashed and then automatically restarted itself, but emptied the queue in the process, then you could end up creating a lot of manual work for the client. So if you have critical, like mission critical data, it needs to go into the database to be processed by the background worker. But if it's transactional stuff that doesn't really matter, it's just notifications or something like that, a page refresh could fix it then those can go into a Redis queue and be a bit less. Sidekick Enterprise, which uses, which is backed by Redis, uses some Redis feature. It's like push pop or something. Uh, like Redis is, has all these commands. Um, and and uh, like it uses a different command than normal Sidekick. Sidekick Enterprise does. And so it is safer. Uh, like, you know, if you're running your sidekick jobs and your, um, you know, your server goes offline or something, like it, it's able to recover a little bit easier than that. Um, I think, Dave, it also makes me, you know, think of like a benefit of putting jobs in your relational database um, is that you get transactional integrity. So if you're enqueuing your job inside of a transaction, um, and then, like, you don't have to worry that that job will be run before the transaction closes because the job doesn't get written to the database until the transaction closes. Because this is something, like, I know with uh, when you're not using, uh, when you're using something else. And I'm like, most people are likely using something else. They're using Redis um, or, like, a GitHub. Uh, we use, like, Kafka. Um, that you don't have transactional integrity. And so you sort of have to like delay your job. Well, that's an overloaded term. You have to uh, <laughs> wait to enqueue your job until the transaction has completed. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I would say about solid queue, about good job, about solid cache, which is the caching mechanism, instead of using Redis for caching, solid cache uses your database, is that you have to be careful. Like, um, not speaking about good job here because you haven't written up the, for lack of better words, propaganda about, you know, stop using, you know, Redis for caching, stop using it for background workers, just use your database. Because a lot of what DHH said about the mechanism of using your database is great. It's a good idea if you have fast databases. If you're using cloud or managed databases, the actual IOPS that you get are going to vary and could have actual speed differences in your application than if you had just made the network call over to Redis. So you do have to be careful with it because it's easy to buy a cheap database, especially on a 
hobby application or something and get horrible performance because you've gone with a free tier Postgres or a very super cheap version that's only giving you, you know, 50 IOPS a second or something. And your actual load is much more than that. Yeah, I, I'll just say like, you know, uh, I try not to be advocational. I try not to like advocate for any particular thing because I think a lot of people like, you know, it's just complicated. People have different applications, different business needs, different infrastructure. Like it's, it's, I just like, I'm never comfortable saying like, oh yeah, this is the solution for you. Or like, you know, the tool you're using is the wrong, is wrong. You should use this other tool. It's, it's a lot more of where I'm like, yeah, good job has worked for me uh, in these circumstances. But you're right about relational databases. Like it, they're not necessarily designed to back cues like in, we make it work. Um, but like, I do sort of feel like, uh, you know, if you, if you really have a lot of throughput and we're talking like 20 million jobs a day or something, um, that those are things that probably a relational database is not going to be great at. Like Redis, uh, the way that it's, it stores your jobs, your records in its memory, that it's able to guarantee like, like O of one, like big O notation. Like it's like a constant lookup time, regardless of the number of jobs that you have um, in your queue, in your queue depth. Um, but with Postgres, like, uh, or relational databases, and this is what I say, I can't say speak for everything, but I know with Postgres, it can't guarantee that. Like one of the challenges uh, I'll say with good job in using Postgres is that the longer your queue gets, the more jobs you have in your queue, the slower it is to dequeue jobs. And that's a bad property to have for your queue because it means that the more jobs you have, the slower it is to actually empty your queue of jobs. Um, so like you can get in a hole and then it takes, um, you know, intervention in order to, to fix things up, which might mean like dropping jobs or, or figuring something out. Um, and so like, like I'm trying not to be like fuddy where I'm like, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt about mm -hmm. like relational databases. They're fine. Uh, but like at, at the top end, um, that you, you do have to really pay attention to these things. Um, though I think the flip side is, I think premature optimization and all of that, a lot of people are not there. And so you, you can choose things that, that are like more convenient, like, like with good job or solid queue, um, you can just write some SQL and see what's in your queue. You can add really easy to ask questions because it's a relational database. It's just like, you know, ask it some arbitrary questions about what is in that database table, uh, join it to some other stuff and get the data out. It's not like the flip side of Redis um, is that, you know, it is highly optimized. Like the way it's able to get that performance is because it's highly optimized for like one activity and you can't, uh, just like ask it arbitrarily for something that it hasn't been like specifically designed for. Yeah, I ran into that nightmare when I was building this AI playground. So I had a couple of GPUs I had dedicated for this project and I wanted to let the end user know where they were in the queue. 
So how many, what their position was, how many jobs are ahead of them. And I was using Sidekick for the background jobs. And it, it's possible, but you have to jump through a lot more hoops that are then kind of tying your application to that specific background worker because of the hoops you're having to jump through. So it, it was kind of a pain and would have been much, much easier if I had used Good Job or something on that uh, project. But I think that kind of speaks to one point of whether you are building a small application or a big one, typically what I do is I never start out with a background worker. I will just set my adapter to inline or async or something, which isn't production ready. But if this is a personal project or something, you know what? It's okay. I would stick with the active job mechanism that we are provided from Rails. So any kind of email that I need to send out and stuff, it's still going to happen async or inline because I don't have a separate background worker. But my application is then structured through active job to go through active job to send out the email. So if the application ever becomes serious or I need to then introduce a background worker, I can simply just throw in good job or throw in solid queue or whatever else I wanted with minimal changes. And then within my application, if I keep using active job and keep my abstraction to simply just good job, then swapping out one database worker or sorry, backend worker for a different one is as simple as adding the gem, running the migrations or you know whatever the setup is, and then changing the adapter in my config. You know, it should be really easy to switch back around jobs because of active job. And that's one thing I really really like about active job and you know try not to lock myself into one backend worker vendor mm -hmm. so to speak my daughter has a shirt and it says i'm tired of playing princesses let's be unicorns and i kind of like that idea of being able to you know change the game you're playing and still be able to use the same interface basically or if you want to be twilight sparkle you could be both a princess and unicorn no, oh now i really feel special <laughs> That, that does make you wonder if there is uh, kind of a missing piece to this puzzle here of like some kind of routing system into the queue that knows uh, these kind of jobs should run in this kind of environment, right? Like if it should be persistent in a database because we know like, oh, this, these kinds of jobs, you know, aren't going to be, you know, hammered with millions of requests. But, you know, if we have a Kafka streaming and setting up a bunch of other jobs, maybe we want, uh, you know, to use Redis. Uh, I feel like there's definitely a use case for you know the bigger players here where that's just missing. That's why we have all these various ways to do it. Um, have you noticed Ben like having like a need like that where uh, your persistence layer isn't you know the Postgres is not keeping up with it and you wish you had both or how do you handle cases like that? You just don't use it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that sounds like a good problem to have. Um, and I, I personally have not been graced um, with with that kind <laughs> of problem. Um, yeah, most of my projects, um, like I said earlier, like this comes out of like my work. Uh, a lot of stuff we were doing at Code for America, and that was working on like government tech. And so it was like very easy to to know the how far you would have to scale because we were like targeting very specific geographic areas or like 
people that uh, the government very much knew, like down to the the person, like we knew that there was like eight people in Alpine County, California, that would be using our application. Um, so that was like a lot of the gov stuff. Like we never had that problem, just like unbounded growth. Uh, we have that problem in my day job uh, at GitHub, mm-hmm. but uh, I frequently don't work on uh, stuff with the the background job system. Like I'm, I help people with uh, with active job stuff, and then there's like layers on layers and layers below that of how it gets into Kafka and runs and all of that. Unfortunately, we have. Uh, very, very smart teams, much smarter than me, that are responsible for that. No, I think the abstraction layer is so important. And that's one thing that has really disappointed me with action text. Sorry to switch gears there, is that it only supports tricks. Like, there's really yeah. only one path, and that's tricks if you use action text. You can swap in Rhino or some other things you know, from uh, other people, but it's not a drop-in solution like they have for active job. So yeah, just voicing a rant there. <laughs> no, I agree. And tricks is, I like how simple it is, but sometimes it's not what I'm looking for. I'll admit I have never used action text. So I'm a little curious. Um, are are there things that you're working on adding to Good Job at this point, or is it mostly just complete and being maintained? Good question. I think I'm like, there is a lot. Um, like one of one of the things that I am working towards is uh like I mentioned using advisory locks, um, that there's another way to build queues on relational databases that is using row level locking for update skip lock is usually the phrase you will mm-hmm. hear or see. And uh, I am working good job in that direction. It's a very long arc towards that because I really don't, I don't want to disrupt people. I don't want to have a really big, painful, like breaking upgrade towards that. And so I'm sort of picking away at at the edges, the margins of it, um, working towards that. But that's something that that I am working towards. And the reason for that is, that I want to support folks that are using PG Bouncer, which uh, is like a Postgres multiplexer where it, uh, when your like Postgres database uh, has hit its upper limit of the number of database connections it can create, um, mm-hmm. you can put PG Bouncer in front of it, and then it will like create you know tens or hundreds of times more sort of like virtualized connections that then multiplex over the real connections um, behind it on the mm. back end. And that uh, doesn't work with the kind of advisory locks that GoodJob currently uses. So um, that's a reason that I want to move towards that. Though I think this is also um, like a story of Good Job success, where when I originally launched GoodJob, I was like, like, if you have that kind of problem, don't use GoodJob. Like you should probably be using Sidekick Enterprise or Delayed Job um, or something different. Like the way that I described it, I think it was like solo developers and teams of 12 or less or something. Like 
I had it in in the the readme, but I was just like trying to be like, you know, I know I have the personal experience of like building for applications uh, and businesses that are this sort of shape. And I feel like super confident that I can deliver uh, performance and a good experience on that. And then, you know, much bigger things. I'm like, I don't know, uh, maybe don't use this library. Uh, but now I have the problem four years on of some of those like smaller things that I was like, yeah, I have the experience with you. They've like gotten more successful. And now they're running into scaling problems. And I'm like, oh, well, I want to support you. You know, you're you're my friends now. And so like <laughs> I am I am trying to make good jobs scale more for those people. So that's that's the big thing. Um I think there is the other pieces that I'm working on. Um, I this year uh, I added like batched job functionality, so you can sort of have a you have like multiple jobs that are sort of tied together, or you want to like run these three jobs and then when they finish, run these five more jobs, and you sort of want to like orchestrate that that kind of pipeline. I added batches um, that can do that, so I'm I'm continuing to work on that. Um, also, I uh, want to add more sort of like concurrency controls. So like right now you can say, um, you know, I only want uh, two jobs of this class that are operating on this particular resource to run at the same time. Um, otherwise, just like, um, you know, defer it until later. Uh, so like I currently can do that, but I also want to be able to add like throttling. So you can say like, okay, within a 60 second window, only run 10 of these types of jobs. And if you hit, um, if you, you know, if you exceed that, like throttle it, just like defer it to later. Uh, so there's a lot of like those kind of little features that I want to work on. And then, um, yeah, the web dashboard is just like something that always brings me a lot of joy. Um, of, you know, it's fun to click around and look at charts. Um, and so that's something too, that I, I feel like continually making investments in. Yep. Cool. So one other thing, and I, I feel safe asking this since Dave asked it basically before the show. Um, and that is, so, you know, I was at rails world, I guess I'm wearing the shirt, right. Um, and you know, DHH you talked about good job as kind of the inspiration for solid queue. And I don't know. I mean, in some ways I'd be thrilled that I inspired something in rails and maybe a little bit, I, I, I don't know how I'd feel if it was inspiring something that essentially does the same thing. So, so where are you at with the whole solid queue thing being inspired by good job? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, like I, I really do feel like I'm like at the end of the day, I I just want people to build cool applications, mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of benefits to having a first party like background job system like that's in Rails because I think it's not a great experience that you know you're like great Rails is supposed to be like the everything framework whatever the the backpack for your desert island business. Or something. I think I saw that in a Rails keynote once. Uh, but then, like, 
you know, kind of like one of the first sort of valueless decisions you have to make is like choose your backend job system. And so like, you know, if you just got rid of that that choice and and you were just like, yeah, here's the default. It's good. Use that. Um, I feel good about that. Um, like just if I if I just like pretend like turn off the good job part of my brain and I'm just like, yeah, that that makes Rails better. It makes Rails stronger. Um, the you know, it was fun being at Rails World and seeing like a picture of my blog up there. Uh, like my blog is island94.org, which like I feel like people are always like, oh, oh, you're the good job guy. Like I never didn't realize that that was your blog. Because like you know, it's like a totally random name. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it was like cool seeing, seeing that up there. Uh, it was like the introductory blog post. It was like introducing good job, like seeing that up on the stage at Rails World. Um, Mm -hmm. and exciting to hear that, that it was, you know, something that they looked at, um, for, you know, for inspiration for, for code maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like, I have zero zero hard feelings about it, but I'm also, I'm like, yeah, I've processed through this. Like, you know, there was like, I don't want to say probably just like grief that you're like, Oh, my relationship with good job is changing because of this. Um, but now that I've worked through all of that, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. I'm I'm curious. Like, do you, do you find yourself trying to find things from good job that uh, you could upstream Right, the solid queue, or is that like not a task you want to do? <laughs> Definitely uh, doing that. Like, I did open up a PR on solid queue where I was like, "Here's a spike. I'm sorry," uh, and I got some good feedback, and I need to to circle back on that. Um, the but you know, I do I do plan on contributing, you know, seriously to solid queue. Um, but I think. You know, something that I have thought about, which is where I'm like, you know, what does it mean to be a first party uh, adapter for Rails is that, like, I have the benefit with good job. Like I described, like I sort of went from being like very narrow, very constrained in how I thought about good jobs feature set to being like very expansive, like the more the merrier. Sure, let's try that. Let's make better mistakes tomorrow. Like, you know, let's let's see what we learn. and. Like, I, like, Rails development does not work that way. Like, there are very smart core uh, engineering team on Rails. Like, I, I work with some of them, and they are very deliberate, very intentional, because they know that if they introduce an interface into Rails, like, they are going to be supporting that for the next several years. And there are going to be, you know, tens of thousands of developers that are using it. and so. They can't make decisions as lightly as I can in my own little gem over here in my own little repository. And so like I do, I do see that being something that's different about solid queue. And like, you know, I say all the good things where I'm like, it, you know, many hands make light work, all bugs are shallow, like, like all of that. Like, I think solid queue will be much stronger for being part of Rails. But it will also be like its stewardship as a project will be very different than what I'm able to do with Good Job. 
So one question, this is coming more from me having tried out SolidQ. Have you uh, seen in the logs when using SolidQ, when you have it attached through the uh, Puma plugin, just the almost like the vomit of logs that it creates? <laughs> does um, does GoodJob have that same kind of thing when you use the capsules? Yes. It like... Um... It is a little like I'm like they're very they're architected very different. Um, like good job is chatty with the database. Like it will poll um, like every I want to say like every thirty seconds, once a minute. Um, like it will poll for new jobs, but it also uses Postgres listen notify, so it's able to to do more like out of band pub sub. Like a job was enqueued over here. Let's just tell the the execution thread over there to to run it. So it it's a little different versus um, solid queue where I think it only polls essentially. And so if you want your queue latency, like your queue latency will never be uh, less than your poll rate. So if you're sending somebody a password reset email and you want them to wait as little as short as possible in order to get that email, like you need to pull like once a second for, for new jobs. And so it's going to show up. Um, so yeah, it's very chatty. I think the other thing, sorry, I'm going to nerd out for a moment, that I really like about SolidQ, um, like I mentioned, like post, like relational databases are not the best at building a queue. Um, and a reason for that is like you just have all these arbitrary queries and like it's really hard sometimes to like have a query based on, you know, in active job, you're like you have uh, you have a queue name, you can set like when you want the job to execute at some arbitrary point in time in the future, you can set a priority on it. Um, so you have like all of these different dimensions and then you're trying to write a query that has an index that Postgres can like go as quick as possible to the next executable job. And that's like really hard to design the proper query for it. And so one of the things that SolidQ does that I think is super smart uh, and I'm just in awe of is that it actually has two sort of separate queues um, so like when you enqueue a job that's scheduled in the future, it doesn't put it into like the hot queue for jobs that are being executed. It puts it into like the scheduled queue. And then there's a separate um, polar for that queue that's polling it for like, okay, have we reached the point when this, the scheduled job should be put in the hot queue? Um, and I'm just like, I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? That is an amazing like performance hack for how Postgres works. But then the flip side, like you mentioned, is like it just is super chatty because now you have two different polling like uh, processes going on. And so if it's using Active Record and Active Record is dumping um, query logs out, you're just going to see this waterfall of like select, select, select. Yeah. So what I found, uh, SolidQ calls those dispatchers. 
which is the scheduled jobs for later, and then workers for the things that are happening as they get loaded into the queue. The dispatchers uh, poll every one second, but the workers poll 10 times a second. So when I oh, wow. added in as a plugin, like there was just like log vomit all over my terminal. I'm like, I can't see my request that I actually made that trigger that job. Like there's just too much going on, which in a production, you know, like a one Heroku dino or something, you know what, who cares? That's good enough. But in development, it's just, it's not realistic. Well, there's a, I'm like, there's a feature request that, um, cause like, I think like change the logger or like silence the active record logger there. Um, I, I am considering that, like I said, of um, as I'm as I'm moving, as I'm slowly chipping away on my path towards four updates, skip lock, um, like silencing active record logs is something that that I've been playing around with. I think I think the the scary part of all of this is like you know, for me as a little old gen developer, I'm like I you know some developer is taking my code and putting it in their application. And then my code is like doing all sorts of stuff with the database. And like, I always worry that I'm like, I think I want you to be in charge of your application and I want you to be aware of what's going on. And so like how to put, how to put that, put you in control of the process where I'm like, yeah, I think it should be maybe by default, you should get this log vomit, but there should be a really easy like uh, configuration setting where you're just like, you know, log everything and you equals false. And then that sort of like quiets it down. But yeah, yeah, I think that sort of design stuff is hard. Yeah. You know, I don't, as a developer, I don't need to know when my background worker is checking for work. I just need to know when it's executing the work. So, you know, I would almost default to silencing the logs of any kind of queries that it's looking for more work. But then if you need a more verbose mode, then you can enable that flag. Now, just my personal, as a developer perspective, not a, you know, developer of the gym or, you know, that functionality. What? Now I'm like, ooh, this sounds like user research. What else? What <laughs> other, uh, you know, what other cuts? Uh, what are the paper cuts? What are the pins? So I would like my background worker to implement AI so it knows what jobs to queue before they're even queued. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> uh, that's what AI is for, right? Oh, it's so funny. I mean, it, it, in all seriousness, no. Uh, you, you should be able to at least like trend analysis off of it, right? Like, Oh, I know these jobs like in queue this many during this time period and be able to maybe auto scale based on that. I could see that as a oh, that'd a, be interesting. You know, darn it, I actually ran into this problem with my background worker. So I made the mistake of using uh, MJML for transactional emails. If you're unfamiliar with using the JavaScript library of it, it executes at runtime when it's sending the email. So it takes one second to send each email. If you are sending out a large mailing list, 
it then takes a <laughs> long time. So the proper fix is fix my stupid code that's taking one second to send each email, but a different solution because if, let's say if I did fix that, now it takes only 10 milliseconds, which is what it should take, then we need to scale up the workers. We know that every Sunday, there's a huge number of signups or a huge number of password reset requests. Then you could almost fork out preemptively based on trends and patterns to scale up the number of workers that good job has available to it. I joke, but that would that would definitely be an interesting feature that sets it apart from anyone else. You know, but don't don't put your time on that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was fun. Ben, if people want to connect with you somehow, what, what what's the best place to do that? Yeah, I think um you want to talk about good job, come uh come to the GitHub project for it. Um github.com slash Ben Sheldon slash good underscore job. Um, feel free to open an issue or open a discussion. Like I try to keep the bar very low. Um, so like, you know, if you have a question, if you have an idea, really just ask it. Um, I, I'd love to hear from you there. Um, also, uh, you know, I'm, I hang out in Ruby on Rails link Slack. Uh, if you, if you mention good job, uh, I will probably pop in and say hello. Uh, you can you can always summon me uh, on there. Um, I think yeah, I think those are the two things. And then my blog is uh, island ninety four dot org, and I blog about tech stuff. I try to tell. Um, I don't know. I call them funny stories. They're funny to me. I think a lot of them are just like traumatic experiences that uh, in my professional uh, and developer life that I'm trying to move past. But, um, you know, they're, they're funny stories to tell friends uh, and, you know, write about technical stuff. But yeah, my blog to island94.org. Uh, send me an email, bensheldon at gmail.com. Like, really, don't be a stranger. Uh, I'd really love to hear from you. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll those links in the show notes and stuff. And uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Valentino, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, so I've been build, building a uh, kind of offline LLM uh, bot for fun uh, in my free time. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I was down to the text-to-speech portion of it where I wanted to speak back to me like on, on a you know piece of hardware. Uh, and I discovered there's this uh, Whisper Speech library where they've basically made text-to-speech by inverting Whisper itself, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but <laughs> it works, and it's fully open source, and all of the uh, you know audio uh, is fully licensable and usable in an enterprise context. So uh, I don't know. I'm just having fun playing with it, and it's you know, obviously a little slower than letting some uh, other company that has giant GPUs, uh, you know, at your disposal. But, uh, you know, it's still a lot of fun. Awesome. Dave, how about you? All right. Singing in the spirit of large language models, um, this one is called uh, Focus, like F3OCUS. It's not a large language model, but rather a GUI for one. 
And if you've ever used Dolly or some of the other really popular ones, this produces same results. I mean, it is amazing. It's based on stable diffusion and it can do incredible things. It has all of the different checkboxes that you're able to say what kind of style you want of the image created. And they go as far as even doing facial swaps. So if you wanted to take your own picture, for example, I had a friend who never sends me pictures of his Disney trips. So we make fun of films that he never actually goes. So I took his picture and then just did a face swap of a person at Disney World and stuff. So I told him like, hey, because you never sent me pictures of you at Disney, I just made my own. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And my second pick is a gem that I'm working on. And it is for the uh, authentication. It's a authentication solution. So think device. But for Rails 7.1 and later, it uses all of the features and functionalities with token generations for password resets, email verifications from Rails 7.1. I've worked on it for a few months now. And so it's still like super duper early release. So I don't recommend going building a expensive production application running this yet. But the idea of it is that it stays so close to the Rails core that if you ever wanted to remove Action Auth, which is the name of the gem, for your own implementation or a Rails implementation, then it should be somewhat effortlessly able to do if you stick with the core defaults. So one of the features that I'm really proud of that I just implemented was passkey support. So in order to get passkeys up and running, it's a real pain in the butt if you're not familiar with all the different handshakes that had to happen. But for this, it is as simple as bundle add web auth in. And now it has passkey support just right out of the bag. So it's a really cool feature that I think you know I, is missing from things like device with a lot of extra setup or extra dependencies that you have to bring in. And I didn't want to do that. If I wanted passkey support, I wanted it to be as simple as just add a gem. Things just magically start working. So I'll link to that in the show notes. And it's called Action Auth. Hey, thanks. Thanks for making awesome. that, by the way. I I came across it um, in one of cool. my web, personal websites. I'm like uh, bouncing from device to using like Rails built-in stuff. Uh, and like, I think you had mentioned that in somewhere that I saw it. And I took a look and like, yeah, I borrowed some code. Thank you. It, it <laughs> looks really clean, really nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's one of those things where I really like, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he did uh, Authentication Zero. And it is basically a lot of inspiration came from there with a lot of changes as well. But that's running a... Adding the gem and then running a generator, which copies all of that stuff into your application. Now you have to maintain the authentication. And I didn't want that because I create many, many, many Rails applications a week, either for episode prep or whatever else. And I wouldn't want to have to go back and maintain those. And I create a lot of personal projects like little crocheting libraries and stuff for my daughter that she can then keep track of all of her work and how much time and yarn she spent on it. And I wouldn't want to have to maintain authentication, security, and that kind of stuff in all of these different projects. So having a, a gym just makes sense. So I like it. 
sounds awesome. I have some things coming that are in a similar vein. So, um, anyway, especially with the authentication zero in particular, where it generates the code into your app instead of, yeah, having all the big, fat, ugly stuff that, you know, kind of hangs out behind the scenes for device. Uh, ben, I'm going to let you go next with the picks because my picks are a little bit kind of heavy. So, Yeah, um, I feel so unprepared. Uh, we were mentioning LLM stuff. So I'm like, this is not a plug for my employer, but uh, Copilot Chat, I think, just went GA. And, you know, I've been using it um, like we, we get all the fun toys. Uh, for the GitHub employees. And so I've been using it for a couple months now. And um, I don't know, I am a, like AI skeptic on a lot of stuff, um, but it's really convenient to like be able to just ask dumb, dumb questions of an AI chat thing in your code editor. Like I use RubyMine. So um, yeah, I'm going to just say uh, GitHub Copilot chat has surprised me with being good. And disclosure, I work again. Cool. All right. So I'm going to do the lighthearted stuff first, and then I'm going to go deep. So uh, really quickly, we keep talking about LLMs and uh, AI and stuff like that. And I had a chat with Alex Rudall um, this morning, actually, before this call. And uh, it's for the Rails Dev Summit that will be February 12th or 13th, sorry, 13th through 16th. And uh, I'm interviewing people and I'm just asking, what's the future of Ruby? And then a lot of times we get into, hey, this is stuff that I've done, right? So with Alex, we talked mostly about the future of AI and Ruby. Um, you know, I'm talking to uh, Elise Schaefer from the Ruby on Rails podcast right after this. I'm talking to... Uh, I, I'm going to say his name wrong. Sutero Matsumoto, uh, who's one of the Ruby committers, right? And see what he's working on and what he sees coming in Ruby. So uh, we're doing a whole bunch of these. I'm talking to Jeremy Evans. I've got, uh, I'm talking to Amanda Perino from the Rails Foundation. Um, so anyway, got a whole bunch of people coming and I'm super excited. It's going to be awesome. Um, the plan is, is if you go to rubydevsummit.com, and uh, enter your email address. Then I'll send you links to where you can get the talks as they come out. Um, I'm also going to probably publish the audio versions to the podcast feed. And then, um, yeah. Anyway, so we're, we're just kind of working on that. So go check out rubydevsummit.com. Um, as far as the rest of it goes, you'll notice I didn't do a board game pick or anything. And that's because I feel like I'm going to talk for more than my a lot of time about this, but it's something that's kind of been on my mind the last little while. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to first just put up a really quick warning. If my mentioning self-harm or suicide bothers you, then you probably just want to move on to the next episode in your feed. Um, so right before Christmas, like the Tuesday before Christmas, my brother tried to kill himself. and. Um, you know, he, he bought himself a pistol. He tried to shoot himself in the head. He wound up shooting his eyes and he's blind now, but, um, I'm not going to go into all the nitty gritty details, but 
I've been spending a lot of the last few weeks just supporting my mom and helping figure things out for him and, you know, trying to figure out what we do. And it really got me thinking there were a couple of other things that kind of went on through all of this that um, have have kind of made me think that I should say something on the podcast. One is, is that um, he kind of was a loner, right? He didn't get out much socially. Um, he had some other things going on. And if you find yourself kind of feeling, he told me that he felt stuck, that his his life for the next 10 years was going to look a lot like the last year and the last year wasn't great. And if you're feeling anything like this, if you're thinking about taking your own life, uh, first of all, just realize that it does impact all the people around you. And second, um, go get help, right? Uh, through all of this, I was super angry up until about a week and a half ago. And, you know, I scheduled a therapy session. I went to the therapy session, but by then I had kind of worked through a lot of the emotional stuff. But, you know, it, we, we all go to that dark place. And so, you know, don't do it alone. Uh, keep going back. See if you can find somebody that can really help you. Um, I also had some really good friends that um, I play board games with every week. And, you know, so when I showed up at their house, they're like, what's, you know, what's up right and uh you know and so we just chatted and played a card game for like three hours and that really helped as well just knowing that there were people that had had were in my corner they hadn't necessarily gone through the same things that i was going through but just knowing that you know they would hear me out and support me and things like that also really helped um and then one last thing that i want to bring up out of this so so a go get help if you need it too you don't have to do it alone uh a two sorry Oh, the third thing. So the third thing that came out of this, and I and I want to really bring this up too, is that, and I didn't realize how common this was, but you know, I'm I'm fairly involved in the political scene here in Utah, um, uh, and so I, you know, I had to explain to some people why I didn't get stuff done that they were counting on me for. Um, you know, I I had some people at church that asked me how I was, and I just, you know, kind of unloaded, <laughs> right? I'm like, well, I'm not great, but you know, you don't need, you know, do you want to hear it? And, Yes. And so I tell them. Um, But what I found is as I talk to people, I realized there are a lot of other people that go through this too. I had so many people tell me my brother tried this, my, my son tried this, my sister-in-law actually succeeded in committing suicide. And the reality is, is this is something that impacts way more people than you would think. And so what I really want to encourage people to do is if you are going through something hard, whether it's a family member or a friend or yourself or something else, is just realize that because because it's so easy to get into this place where you feel like it's just you. And, you know, maybe it's shameful or maybe it's um, hard for people to really understand where you're at. And I think you'd be surprised. And so um, just realize that, you know, your struggle may feel overwhelming, but it's not unique. And there are plenty of people out there who get it. So um, I don't have like a direct pick off of this other than, you know, just go find help and and find support. But if you're going through something tough or if you see somebody that seems to be lost, um, you know, it's it's up to us to support each other and help each other. And so um, I don't know. That's kind of the the long and the short, but I, I wanted to talk about it and just 
let people know that, hey, look, it's not just you and you're not alone. So, well, I guess we'll uh, wrap it up. Um, thanks for coming, Ben. That was awesome. And and I, I really like all the stuff that you're putting into good job. So. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Yeah, we'll wrap it up here. Until next time, folks, Max out.